Hello, Real Life family. This is Pastor Tim, uh, and today we're going to continue our series on Romans. I hope you're doing well and your family's doing well. I uh, just want to encourage you, any chance you get, to come and join us on Sunday mornings live. Uh, that's where we get to interact with each other and just share our gifts and receive the gifts from one another of just encouragement and joy and, and fellowship. And I want to encourage you to keep trying your best to try to make it to church, okay? Um, also, I want to mention this. On February 12th, after our second service, we're going to be having a membership luncheon. So if you're interested in checking out the church, uh, becoming a member, hearing the vision, and really what our DNA is as a family, come out and join us. And um, you, can, you can hear from me. I get a chance to meet you. And we can talk about what it looks like to be a part of the Real Life family. So let's continue in our uh, series on Romans. I love this book. This is so amazing. It's just filled with the richness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, we're on week five, if you, can't, if you can believe it already. And we're going to look at chapter three today and talk about righteousness. Uh, and so starting with the end of chapter two, though, I want to pick up where we left off last week a little bit. And in the end of uh, Romans chapter two, verse 28, uh, Paul is talking. He says, a man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. Verse 29, no, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code or not by the law. And uh, finishes by saying, such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. And the true sign of belonging to God, Paul is saying, is not an outward physical mark, like circumcision, right? But it's the inward regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. Deep on the inside of us, the Bible often uses the word heart to describe the core essence of who we are as a person. And in that core essence on the inside of our soul, who we really are, it's right there where the Holy Spirit comes and transforms us from the inside out. The outward behaviors do uh, are affected, but they're affected not as a religious effort to try to please God, but as a result of the Holy Spirit regenerating us from the inside out, changing us from the inside out. And Paul is, is, is saying, look, we cannot put our trust in our outward religious observances to get right with God. There's a whole different shift that's taking place through the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who has come to give us a righteousness that's not based on our efforts or our deeds or our ability to obey the law perfectly, which we can't. That's impossible. So the good news of the gospel is that God himself has come to make a way for us to be righteous with him by placing our faith in what Jesus did for us. And that's Paul's main argument and main presentation of the book of Romans. And he's saying it right here uh, at the end of chapter 2. And then we get into chapter 3. And he's still talking to uh, about this idea of Jews and Gentiles and how we're, we're all fallen from God's grace. But uh, let me just read a little bit of it. And he's talking to uh, a Jew at this point. And he says, what advantage then is there in becoming a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? And he says, well, much in every way. First of all, they had the entrusted, been entrusted with the words, of, the very words of God. And, and then he goes on to ask these questions. What if some did not have faith? Would their lack of faith 
nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. Verse 5, But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing His wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases His glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result? Their condemnation is deserved. This is a very confusing passage of Scripture. It takes a while to study this, to get to the bottom of it, to figure out what Paul is really talking about. So I'm going to try to summarize it for you real quick and bring a little bit of clarity for you. So Paul is writing and uh, he's creating an imaginary conversation with a religious Jewish person who has placed their faith in their good works and challenging Paul along the lines of, of sin and saying, if what you're saying is true, that we no longer are going to be um, basing our righteousness on our obedience to God, then why don't we just sin? If all we need to do is place faith in Jesus, then what does it matter that we have the Torah? What does it matter that we are Jew? What does it matter that we um, have the covenant, that we uh, have the prophets, and that we sin? What does it matter that we sin? In other words, they, they ask this question if, in verse 5, if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, uh, then, then isn't God unjust by, by punishing us for our sin? And so this idea is that, in other words, if me sinning causes God, it kind of helps God show His uh, glory, shows His righteousness, then I'm kind of helping God out by sinning. So why would I then be held accountable or punished for my sin? It's just a really... Uh, uh, sarcastic kind of a, an approach to, to sin and to righteousness, isn't it? So the person's like, hey, if, if by me sinning makes God, God's righteousness, uh, gives God the opportunity to show his righteousness even more clearly, then I'm doing God a favor by sinning. Do you see what they're trying to say there? And Paul is just like, are you kidding me? This is nonsense. And yet some people were saying this of Paul's gospel, the, go uh, the gospel of grace that Paul was preaching. Because he was preaching, and he is clearly saying that in a few chapters that all of our sin actually is forgiven by faith in Jesus. But people take that almost as a license to sin. The people are taking it out of the wrong spirit. Another way, uh, in verse 8, they would say, Why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, and as some claim that we say, Let us do evil that good may result. In other words, well, then I should sin so that God can show himself even greater, right? His grace can be even greater. Again, this is just um, uh, taking the gospel and twisting it so that there's a license to sin, right? And that is not at all uh, what Paul is saying. So here's a quote I have from a commentary that I've been reading by David Seamuth, and it's called the Spirit-Filled Life New Testament Commentary Series. I just want to read this quote for you, okay? He says, A gospel of license presents many opportunities to stray far from God's intended way of life. 
A gospel of grace provides the inner work of the Holy Spirit as the way of life. And so if you are uh, misinterpreting what grace is all about and saying, oh, well, then I guess it doesn't matter if I sin. I, because God's grace is so great, uh, by me sinning, it shows God's, God's grace is even bigger than that. That's completely twisting uh, what Paul is saying and taking it out of context. And it's going to cause you to stray away from God, uh, obviously, and to experience uh, the detrimental effects of that sinful lifestyle. But grace isn't just something that covers our sin. Grace actually sets us free from sin and empowers us to actually live a new life, to live a life of righteousness. So grace doesn't give us a license to sin. Grace gives us the power to not sin. And that's Paul's message. So that's kind of what that's talking about. And then we get into some really exciting stuff. Uh, just before verse 22, which is the exciting part, Paul reminds that, uh, the reader that he has established clearly that we are all sinners. That uh, in verse for instance, in verse 9, he says, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. All of us. The Jews have sinned by breaking the Torah, the law uh, that God had given them. Gentiles had sinned by breaking the law of consciousness that God has given them a conscience in. We have all fallen short. We are all sinners. In verse 10, he says, there is no one righteous, not even one. So he's make, he makes this statement very clear over the chapter 1, 2, and half of chapter 3, that we are all sinners, we all justly deserve death as a punishment for our sin. God is righteous, He is just, and He bases His judgment on uh, deeds according to or measured by the law. And we have all fallen short. We all deserve the, the, the righteous wrath of God against our sin. And that wrath is, is death. And so in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says this. He's trying to bring all of this to a head here, the first three chapters. And he says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Paul summarizes the first three chapters of the Bible by saying this. So here's my conclusion. No one can get right with God through observing the law. Right? In two verses, in verse 23, he says that famous verse that we've been memorizing. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And it is impossible for a human being to gain righteousness with God, to be right with God through observing the law. It's impossible. Now, if, if this was the end of the letter, we would all be in great despair. We would have no hope. We would have this death sentence of eternal death and separation from God because of our sin. And God would be just and he would be righteous to punish us with death for eternity. That's where we stand at Romans chapter 3, verse 20. But the next phrase, 20, verse 21, says, But... Now, but now, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known. This is the good news Paul is about to pivot on. 
He's like, all of this is true. We have sinned. God is righteous. He's just. He's, he's, uh, he's created the standard. We've all missed the standard. Uh, we are all sinners. We're condemned to death. This is our situation. Nobody can gain that righteousness through observing the law, through being a good person, through doing all the right things. We all fall short if that's our pursuit of righteousness. And Paul says, but the good news is, but now a righteousness apart from the law, a different way to get righteousness has been revealed to us. And he goes on to say, to which the law and the prophets testify. In other words, the scriptures were telling us that this time was going to come. And Paul says, it's now. The time has come. It is now. And it's a different day. Everything has shifted. And this is the case that we are in right now. And so he also says this phrase. He says um, that the law, in verse 20, he says, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So I want to talk about that real quick before we get into the good news. The good news is going to be, well, it's great news. It is our salvation. It's what we've been talking about every week. But when, the, when Paul says that the law is impossible to give us righteousness, but through the law, we become conscious of sin. I want to just say this very clearly. The purpose of the law is not to make us righteous through obedience, but by showing us our sin, um, the point of the law is that we, it shows us we need a Savior. By pointing out our sin, it makes us, the law makes us conscience, conscious of our sin. It shows us our sin. The, law, the purpose of the law is to bring us to absolute dependence on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior for our righteousness. Okay, So just a real quick history lesson. When we look at the story of the Bible, we have a couple of main characters I want to highlight. Abram, or Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. I just want to show you real quick a timeline. Abram, or Abraham, was around 2100 B.C. Uh, that's kind of when he was around. That's what we estimate is when he was around. And, um, and Abram had this great relationship with God, and this is where our faith really is tracked to, is, is the call of Abram by God. When God said, you know, leave your family, leave your country, I'm going to take you to a land, I'm going to be your God. And, um, and God began to show Abram a vision of blessing him through you, all the world will be blessed, I'm going to make your name great, I'm going to make you a great family, a great nation, and everyone who blesses you will be blessed, everyone who curses you will be cursed. And we begin to see the plan of God unfold, that God is picking a person who's going to, who's going to, he's going to cause to have a family, who's going to grow into a people, that people will become a nation, that nation will be a light to the rest of the world, and through this this person, through this family, through this nation, there's going to be a Savior who comes, who's going to be the Messiah, the Anointed One, who will save us, who will save us. Jesus in Hebrew means Yeshua, which means save, save, salvation. And so Jesus is the Savior. He is the one who comes to save. But anyway, way back here in the beginning, we see this in Genesis um, chapter uh, 15, verse 6. Uh, the Bible says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord. He had faith in God. So we have faith early on in the very beginning with our relationship with God. But then Moses comes along 
around 1400 BC. And Moses, through, through Moses, God gives us the law. And this law begins to reveal to us not how to become righteous, but the fact that we are not able to be righteous without God. All right? So the point of the law was not to bring us righteousness. The point of the law was to point us to our need for Jesus. Jesus came, uh, some say, around 5 or 6 B.C. I'm sorry to shatter your, uh, your, your bubble there. It wasn't 0 B.C. BC. Jesus wasn't born 1st B.C. on December 25th. Um, that's, not, that's not historically accurate. But we, we estimate that Jesus was born somewhere around 5 or 6 B.C. And, and when Jesus showed up, he restored righteousness through faith. Righteousness was never meant to be gained through the law. But we have this long timeline. So I'm just going to draw this out. If we were to draw this out, kind of looking at this, and let's say that this is 1,000 years. So if this was 2,000 years ago, uh, or this was 2000 BC, uh, see, 1400 would be around right here. This would be Moses. And way over here would be the time of Jesus. So from here all the way to Jesus, we had this period of people thinking that righteousness was gained through the law. But from the very beginning, the Bible says that Abram believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. So righteousness has always been through faith. Faith and righteousness has always been the means of getting right with God. And this started with the very first revelation of our relationship through Abram and God all the way, and it continues. But now that faith is not just in God, now that faith is clearly through Jesus right here. And that's what we're talking about, and that's what Paul is saying. And he says this, he says, but right now, right now, a righteousness by faith has been revealed to us. No longer are we by this, uh, this idea that we have to earn it, we have to obey, it's on us. But from this point on through the rest of human history, we have a new world uh, era, a new era of salvation has been made known to us. Even though we see glimpses of it before, we didn't realize the fullness of this idea until Jesus Christ shows up and he permanently uh, made a way for us to be saved and forgiven and redeemed and restored in God. Hallelujah. So Paul says this in Romans 3.21, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So this word now is pretty... Uh, amazing word that Paul uses in several different verses. Uh, Jesus ushered in a whole new era in reality for humanity, and everything has changed. What was is no longer the case. Then has been replaced by now. This stuff here, then, the law, is now replaced by a new era of faith in Jesus. The law has been replaced by grace. Righteousness is no longer pursued by the law but obtained by faith. And this is the era of the kingdom of God. And so the new covenant, here's a quote from this commentary, the new covenant brings with it the end of anti-religious observances 
and inaugurates the season when the Spirit of God circumcises the heart and transforms human behavior from within. Let me give you another picture of what I'm talking about. And in, uh, in Romans, route Romans, look for the word now. And I'm going to give you a quick list of some of these, okay? Romans 5.2 says we are now standing in His grace. So we are standing in God's grace now. That's a good place to be. Romans 5.9 says we are justified now. I'm going to talk about this word in a few minutes. Romans 5.11 says we are reconciled, which means we are um, back in fellowship. We're good with God again. Romans 6.22 says we're set free from sin. This is awesome. We're not just forgiven uh, of our sin, but we are set free from sin. I'm going to set free yeah, from sin. And uh, uh, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more as well. Romans 7.6 says we are released from the law. Romans 8.1 says we are not condemned. Uh, there is no condemnation. So let me write that up there real, real quick. That's a long word. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.17 says we are children of God. And another one out of uh, a different book that Paul wrote is 2 Corinthians 6.2. And it says that we are saved and we are favored. So we are saved and we are favored. So look at this. This is now this new position that we are in. Now, 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 now. This is happening right now for us who believe in Christ. We are standing in God's grace. We're justified. We're reconciled. We're set free from sin. Uh, we're no longer under the law. We have no condemnation. We are children of God. We're saved and we're favored. And all of these are verses in Romans and in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 where Paul says, this is what's going on right now. This is who you are. This is your status. This is your situation. Because of the grace of God that we're celebrating today and we've been all throughout Romans. Okay, this is what Jesus has done for us. Um, the other picture I want to draw for you, and I'll use a different color just for fun, is a little history lesson, okay? Another way of looking at it is the fall happened in the beginning of Genesis. So man is up here. Let's just say that this is a level of life up here that God called us to live in. All of this is the level of life. And man, man's fall happens. And we fall into a death uh, spiral, right? And this death is, is where our condition. We are bound by sin. We are under the control of the enemy. And we are experiencing death in all of its variety of forms. And ultimately, we have no hope. We need to get back to God. God's up here. Righteousness is up here. Okay? The, the Bible says that um, righteousness produces life and, and, it, and it sustains life. We need this. We need to get right with God. This is where, where we came from, but we fell. Sin drove us down uh, into this spiral, okay? So this is where we are. And now for a long time in, in our history, trying to get back up here was, was called the law, right? If you follow the law, if you obey the law perfectly, then you could get something called righteousness. So we try. We try 
fail, try, fail, try, fail, and no one has been able to do that. There's no way. That's what Paul has just said. In a picture form, this is what Paul is talking about. Chapter 1, we fell. We were doing all kinds of crazy death stuff. And so we had the law given to us, and we're trying to obey the law. And if we could do this law perfectly, we would get to life. We would have righteousness. We'd have forgiveness. We'd have perfection. We can't do it. We fall short. We can't get to the level. We can't get to the bar. We can't get to the standard. And so then Jesus shows up. Jesus comes down from here, and he comes down, and he rescues us, and he takes us back up here to a level of life. And this process right here for us to go from death to life is done not through our obedience, not through our religious efforts, but through faith in what Jesus has done for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So he took our place and he paid our debt. He paid our debt by paying this death. He came down, paid the penalty so that we were free to be restored back to God. And now from this moment on, we are called to live up here by the spirit that regenerates us into the image of God. We do this by the spirit not by our own effort. So just like we are raised to new life in Christ, so we live that new life in Christ through the power of the Spirit, not through ourselves. We couldn't do it to ourselves before, and once we're restored, we can't still do it by ourselves uh, any, anymore. It's by the Spirit, okay? So this is just another way of looking at what God has done for us. As we talk about this now, you're going to see this picture in words, and in just really strong concepts. So I want to back up for a second and talk about this phrase. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says, There's no, uh, there, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in the sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. And then in verse 21, um, where does it say that? I'm looking for it. Romans 3... 21, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. So I want to give you just a couple of the scriptures from the law and the prophets that said that this time was coming for us. Okay, so the first one uh, I already shared with you is Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, where we get a glimpse of Abram believing in the Lord, and, and, and the Bible says, and the God credited his faith in him as righteousness. It was faith that got Abraham right with God. And it's faith that gets us right with God through Jesus. But a couple other verses. Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2 says this. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit, in whose spirit is no deceit. Well, how is this possible? How could God not count sins against man? And we see that's never possible here with the blood of bulls and goats. None of that was a permanent solution to our, our human sin. Until Jesus came and actually paid our debt of sin, now through him, God no longer um, uh, has our sin against us or holds our sin against us. This was prophesied in Psalms. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 to 27, the prophet Ezekiel is talking on God's behalf, and he says this, I will, God is saying this, I will give you a new heart 
and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, this hardness, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. When is this going to happen? God said, there's going to be a day when I actually come and I'm going to put my spirit right inside of you. And that spirit's going to empower you to actually live this law. I'm going to write it on your mind. I'm going to write it on your heart. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. And you're going to be able to live this level. You can't do it now on your own, but I'm going to actually put my spirit in you and help you do that. When is that going to take place? Well, it's part of the prophecy of this moment happening in history. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, also God speaks through him in chapter 31, verses 33 to 34. says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. When will God forgive us of our wickedness? When will he remember our sins no more? Only when they are completely dealt with and paid for can God do that. So these are prophecies of a day and an age that God is going to do a new covenant. This old covenant based on the law takes up this amount of space, right, in history. But there's a turning point, and that turning point is Jesus. From this moment on, there is a new covenant, a new deal, right? And that is, if we trust in Jesus, he paid for our debt, he redeems our life, and we live by faith in him, filled with his spirit. Hallelujah. (laughs) That's what Paul is talking about. So I like pictures you know, trying to put um, pictures in my mind to all these words that are being spoken. But God says, I will, 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 seven times in these two different prophecies. God's saying, I'm going to do this. And that's really the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Covenant under the law, the New Covenant by faith in Jesus. Is This is us saying, I will. This is God saying, I will. This is us trying and failing This is God doing and succeeding. This is us putting our faith in ourself and not being able to achieve righteousness. This is us putting faith in Jesus and being able to obtain righteousness with God. All right, do you see the difference? That's what Paul is talking about. That's what the gospel is all about. So Romans 3.22 and Romans 3.23, 24, 25, 26. This is the gospel right here. This is the power stuff right here. This is what you should be really excited about. So here we go. Romans 3.22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe. That's pretty much the gospel right there. This righteousness from God to get right with God. It comes through faith in Jesus to all who choose to believe. All who have faith. Just like Abram. Just like Abram way back here chose to believe in God and God credited it to him as righteousness. When we believe in Jesus and the work that he did for us, God credits it to us as righteousness as well. Romans 3, 23 through 26 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace uh, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. 
So God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, right now, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus, who have faith in Jesus. So I want to look at a couple of these big words that Paul is using. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a doctor before and, and he's using words that you, you understand, you hear the words, you, you understand what he's saying, but you have no idea the depth of meaning of all those words. Some, sometimes I feel like that's what Paul is. He's putting out these big words. I understand the words. I can see them. I can spell them kind of. But, but the depth of them, whoa, you got to really dig in a little bit. And so I want to dig in a little bit on a couple of these words. The first word that he talks about is this word justified. And this word is a packed word. Justified. Earlier I said I was going to talk about this. So justified means this. It means to acquit. It's a legal term. Okay? It's to free someone of a criminal charge by a verdict of guilty. So Paul says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified, acquitted. What this means is, you, by faith in Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus, you're trusting in Him, you have gone through the legal process in heaven with regards to your sin, and you have been declared not guilty. This is amazing. Not guilty. It's amazing because you are guilty. You are guilty, and I am guilty. Paul just spent three chapters telling us we're guilty of sin. And now, now all of a sudden, Everything's changed. And he says there's a righteousness revealed to us through faith in Jesus that justifies us, that takes us through a legal process. And in the end of that legal process, through what he's about to describe to us, we are declared not guilty. Wow. This is legal stuff. This isn't just like a feel-good kind of uh, thing. This is legal documentation in the courtroom of heaven when you've placed your faith in Jesus for all that Jesus has done for you, you go through this process and in the end you come out with a declared not guilty, acquitted of all charges, free. You're free. Free from all your sin. Wow. So that's the first word. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace. Grace of God is his unmerited and undeserved favor. Okay? This is something you do not earn. Um, it is God's favor. It's free. It comes from God, not because you've earned it, deserved it, uh, or anything. It's because of who God is. And that's what grace is. You don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. But God does it anyway. So God somehow, through Christ, has justified you, even though you didn't deserve it. You don't deserve to be declared not guilty. You deserve to be guilty. But this is the justice of God and the mercy of God working. Uh, even though they seem opposite at times, God is able to satisfy both His righteousness and justice and His mercy and His grace because of what He's done Himself on our behalf. So let's keep going into these words. 
through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So now we have this word redemption. This is a slave term, okay? Slaves are very uh, prominent in, uh, in history and even in this time frame of the world to have Roman slaves, they have slaves from all over the world. Uh, we still have slaves today uh, in certain parts of the world. So redemption is a slavery word, and it means to uh, deliver by, pay, by a payment of a price or a ransom, to buy back, to pay off, to get someone to be redeemed out of slavery. And the Bible talks that we have been redeemed from the slavery of three things. Sin, we were indebted to sin. To our enemy, we were indebted to the devil. And from death itself, we were indebted to death. What Jesus redeemed us from is these three things. He has paid a price, and the price that he paid, uh, as I drew that picture out before, was the price of his own death. His death was paid to set us free, to pay the penalty, to free us from sin, from the enemy, and ultimately from death itself. Hallelujah! This is who Jesus is. He has justified us through his grace by paying a price to redeem us from these things. Okay? When he did this, he met the legal requirements for our sin. That's why we can be declared not guilty, because he took our guilt upon himself. The sins weren't just forgotten or sweeped under a rug or something like that. They were punished upon Jesus, which is the last kind of couple of words I want to look at. Um, but before I do with redemption, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from our forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so the redemption price was not money. It wasn't like uh, some favors or something. It was death. It was blood. It was blood. That's why our faith is in his blood. When we say our faith is in his blood, that means our faith is in his death. That his blood was shed to pay for our sin, to set us free from the enemy, and to re resurrect us from death. He is the resurrection and the life, right? So the last word, or a couple of words I want to talk about, kind of the same idea, is atonement. So God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement. And so atonement, um, I'm going to just uh, make some space up here. We can remember what, it, what justified is. It's not guilty. But atonement also has another um, word that's closely related to it, and it's... Um, <laughs> it's kind of a, a word you don't hear a lot of. It's called propitiation. Propitiation. And I'm going to talk about these two words here. Atonement means to cover. And in the Old Testament, we have the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant, in the presence of God, was a mercy seat. And that was the cover to the co covenant. Okay? The Ark of the Covenant. And above the mercy seat, and there was two cherubim, Angels, uh, you know, uh, molded onto the mercy seat was where God's presence dwelled. So God's presence was in the innermost part of the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle or the temple. And he dwelled or hovered just above the mercy seat, which was the cover to the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant was the Torah or the law. 
And so when the priest would come into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, he would take the blood from the sacrifices and sprinkle it on top of the mercy seat, the cover. So if you think of it this way, here's God, then you have blood, and then you have the law or righteousness, right? So God, blood, righteousness. And it's the same through Jesus Christ. He becomes the blood barrier. He becomes the, the shield of our inability to live out the law perfectly. But God sees the blood through the righteousness. We are righteous through Jesus' blood before God. Our righteousness comes from his sacrifice. And he himself has covered our sin with his blood. Hebrews talks about this. You can read about it uh, in Hebrews chapter 8, 9, and 10. How the blood of Jesus, he took his very own blood into the Holy of Holies in the, in the heavenly throne room before God. He sprinkled his blood right in the presence of God. And it is his blood that has purchased us redemption and justified us and forgiven us and restored us and reconciled us with God. It is his blood, not the blood of an animal, but it's his blood that covers us. And propitiation is a, you know, is a word um, that means to appease. Um, it's uh, to atone for. And it establishes the grounds of reconciliation with God. In other words, it's, it satisfies the wrath of God. So the sacrifice of Jesus, or the, he was the propitiation for our sins. He was the, the means by which the wrath of God was satisfied against sin. God's wrath is against sin. And he demands the punishment of death to appease his wrath. And so this punishment of death is, is paid for uh, by Jesus for all who place their faith in him. Actually, Jesus paid this penalty or this appeasement or propitiation for all mankind, but it's only access when we place our faith in him. If we don't place our faith in Jesus, then we still owe this debt and we will endure the wrath of God against our sin, which is death. Or we can let Jesus be our sacrifice of atonement to cover our sin, uh, to be the appeasement of God's wrath so that we can be reconciled with him. That's why these words are so important because all of this works together. Jesus did all of this and Paul is slapping all these words around because it's such a big deal and how big of our, a deal our salvation is. It takes all these words and concepts to describe everything God has done for us. So we are justified, we're determined or declared not guilty because Jesus gave his life, redeemed us from sin, redeemed us from the devil, redeemed us from death. He became our atonement, our sacrifice. He, he took on the wrath of, uh, of God on, because he took our sin. He did all of this for us. That's why the gospel can be summarized simply by this. This righteousness that comes from God is through faith in Jesus to all who believe. That you believe that Jesus did this for you. Wow, <laughs> that's a mouthful. 1 John 2.2 says, He himself, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Jesus did what needed to be done so that we could be reconciled with God. So I want to finish by saying this. Forgiveness in the Bible is the key theme here that allows us to be reconciled to God. Forgiveness is only possible 
when all of this has been taken place. And there's two things that need to be understood about forgiveness. God needs two conditions to be met. Number one, that a righteous life must be given as a substitute or in exchange for that of a sinner. The problem is no one qualifies for that job except Jesus. He's the only one who was righteous and perfect and holy and blameless. He is the Lamb of God without defect, without blemish, without sin. And he did die for you and for me. So condition number one, God's part has been satisfied. Jesus has shed his blood for you and for me. But condition number two also needs to be met. And that is this, the sinner, me, you, must come to God's sacrifice in a spirit of repentance and faith. We have to receive that. We have to acknowledge our sin. We have to repent before God and say, God, I, I see my sin. I need you as a savior. I come humbly to you and I place my faith in you that you have rescued me. It's only through you that I can have life in righteousness. It's only through you that I can be saved. And that's the decision that each and every one of us need to make to be experiencing this forgiveness and the fullness of life in God. Not just now, but for eternity. Eternal life is only accessed through faith in Jesus, humbling ourselves, repenting of our sin, recognizing that we are sinners and that we can do nothing about that. We cannot save ourselves. The only thing we can do, we have two choices. We can pay that debt of sin by, uh, by, with our death or we can let God pay it for us and trust in Him. Those are your choices. And so all of mankind is called, given the invitation of salvation, is to all who believe. And in the scriptures, it's very clear that there's always a God part and a man part. God does His part, but we have to do our part. God did His part by providing salvation, but our part is to trust and to believe. If we don't do our part, we don't get saved. Because we have to have faith in Him. God doesn't control us like that. He didn't make us to be robots. He gave us a free will. God loves us. He calls us to love Him. God made a way for us to be saved, but we have to place our faith in Him. And so that's why in Romans 10 verse 13, Paul says, Listen, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But you've got to call on Him. Romans 10, 9 and 10, Paul says it this way. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For it's with the heart that we believe, listen, and are justified. You know what that means now, justified. It means declared not guilty. It's with our heart that we believe. We place our faith in Jesus. And when we do that, we're justified. All of this happens. And it's with our mouth that we confess and are saved. And so I'm asking you to make that decision right now, to, to believe in your heart, that, uh, to place your faith in Jesus so you can be saved and confess with your mouth that He is Lord. All right, let's pray together. If that's your desire, pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I need you. And I thank you for saving me, for coming to save me, to pay a debt I could not pay for myself, to live a righteous life I could not live on my own. You are the only way to life and truth and, and, uh, and uh, eternity. And so today, I trust in you. I believe in you. I put my faith in you. I do it with my heart, my whole heart, the innermost core of who I am. I say, 
Jesus, I trust in you. I believe in you. And I confess with my mouth, Jesus, you are Lord. You're the Savior. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one. And I put my trust in you today. Thank you for saving me, for forgiving me, for justifying me, for redeeming me, uh, for reconciling me to God. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Help me live this life by the power of your spirit, a new life uh, that's filled with your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I hope you're getting excited about the gospel. I hope that this word of God is burning in you strongly and that you begin to share this good news with others. I want to end by saying the end of uh, Romans chapter 3, if you get a chance to read it, go ahead. And Paul says, you know what? Where is the boasting now? Where's the boasting of what we do and who, how we compare ourselves with other people? It doesn't exist. When you understand the gospel, there is no boasting of man's efforts or man's, man's accomplishments. Every, all the glory goes to God. All the glory goes to Jesus. Without him, none of us would be saved. None of us would be saved. And so we give God all the glory. We are thankful because he saved us. We were hopeless. We were without any means of salvation until Jesus made a way for you and for me. To God be the glory. Hey, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May his spirit just be strong in you this week. May, may he continue to empower you to live this life that he's called you to live in him. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.